Hey everyone, it's Matt Harmon from the Yahoo Fantasy Football Show. Are you sad there's no fantasy football going on right now? Yeah, me too. I've got good news for you though. It is fantasy baseball season right now. Join a public league, join an instant draft, or create a league with your buddies before opening day. It's Yahoo Fantasy Baseball time. Sign up for the 2024 fantasy baseball season at yahoo.com slash fantasy baseball or on the Yahoo Fantasy app. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world that doesn't need any umpires. We'll play ball no matter what, Jordan. It's easier this way, honestly. No one just hovering around us trying to indicate exactly what the rules and regulations are of this podcast. I feel so free, so liberated to be recording this podcast umpireless with you. Become ungovernable, Jordan. I can't. I mean, this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. I think uh, your favorite team proved that earlier this week. Of course, we're going to talk about the umpire list game uh, later on. But first, the first half of this show is going to be a a, a bounce around the spring training uh, news and notes. Unfortunately, a lot of it is 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 very uh, huge bummer injury news. So we'll start with three big injuries um, to to contending teams. Uh, truly, then we're going to uh, laugh uh, about Yankees fans a little bit as we are, uh, you know, as we often do. Then we're going to talk about Andrew Painter, who made his spring debut uh, earlier this week. We're going to talk about the new shift rules and how those are impacting the game because we did not mention those during our pitch clock check-in earlier this week. And then later on in the show, we have some fun emails we are very excited to get to. And of course, we will talk about the umpireless baseball game. But Jake, we must begin with some bummers because the truth is... This is kind of the news that we get during spring training. I know it's it's really extensions or it's terrible injuries that make you very sad. Uh, those are kind of the the spring training binary of what is actually happening and what will actually or, impact the season. Or how much people weigh. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yes. Yes. That's those are really the only the only three options beyond the actual games being played, which, as we all know only mean so much. Uh, So we have three major injuries to get to, and we're going to talk about what they mean for this upcoming season. Let's start with the big one, the biggest injury and the biggest bummer by far, and that is a friend of the show, Gavin Lux, uh, tore his ACL uh, running the bases earlier this week and will be out for the year for the Los Angeles Dodgers. This is an enormous bummer because a lot of people really like Gavin Lux as a person, obviously. And as far as the context of his baseball career, this was this was going to be kind of the year where it's like, all right, Gavin Lux, we let Trey Turner walk because we believe that you finally, once the top five prospect of the game, can be the Dodgers shortstop. They were ready to hand him the keys. And unfortunately, that would not be happening this year. Uh, that's the first, obviously. I mean, this just sucks. This is just like... I just, I mean, we again every year we have spring training injuries that extremely bum us out, but this one is uh, pretty up there on the bum bummer scale. Yeah, the timing of it is the worst part. 
the Dodgers, a team who year after year spent big money or made big trades or traded prospects away in exchange for all-star elite level players, this offseason, for better or worse, cleared the runway for Lux, right? They had let Seager go. They let Turner go. They said, Gavin Lux, you're the guy at shortstop. We believe in you. It's go time. And it was go time for about like a week. And then yeah. this incredibly unfortunate thing happened. Well, and to, to your point, like, again, clearing the runway, and we're going we're gonna to obviously have to talk about these the next young players who are really going to have to step up now. But Lux had, had been in the big leagues and had started to show signs of what he was as a prospect to where no one was really questioning, like, okay, you know, like, this one makes sense. Maybe we don't totally understand, like, diving into giving Miguel Vargas 500 at-bats or some of these, you know, James Outman. But, like, Gavin Lux, people know. People believe in. People want to see succeed at the major league level. That one... Um, you know, sure. And, and we wanted to see him like, okay, like, let's see how he does at shortstop. You know, the position he played coming up in the minors and hasn't played that much in the big leagues. And so that that part just is extremely unfortunate. Um, now, at the same time, they did make a move earlier this offseason that makes this slightly less painful, uh, but still, uh, still very, very challenging, which is that they traded for Miguel Rojas. Now, when they brought in Miguel Rojas, I mean, I think we were wondering, like, maybe they actually do want Miguel Rojas to be the shortstop. They trust him more defensively, even before the Lux injury. Now it seems like that will be the clear option, and I I guess that is a good insurance policy. Obviously, they did not trade him, thinking that Gavin Lux was about to blow his his leg out, but uh, that is now the, the position they sit in, which brings us to the question of, this Dodgers lineup is just not really as uh, as as badass as it used to be. Yeah, it's good ass, Jordan, which I guess is a bad thing. Lingo is difficult. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, you take a look at it, and it's Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts are you know two of the best five, maybe probably five hitters in the world. Is a good start. Max Muncie had a bad first half and a really good second half last year. Uh, Will Smith is one of the best catchers in baseball. And then it's a avalanche of question marks. J.D. Martinez, do they fix him or is he just washed? David Peralta is 35 years old. Trace Thompson had a great 2022, but the five years before that was absolutely bupkis. Miguel Vargas is 23 and has not really played it on the big leagues. And Miguel Rojas isn't a hitter. He's a nice guy with a good defensive glove. That's not a team that sounds like they're going to win a division. Maybe Jason Hayward turns the clock back and they unlock some of that. I mean, that's the big Dodgers question mark, right? That's like the final boss of hitting development. Yeah. Well, which is, which is, and you know, early returns are promising. I mean, to me, what stands out is the age of this lineup. I know this is something we've kind of dunked on the Yankees uh, on uh, in, in recent years. And I think that that is still true to some degree, but Man, I mean, you know, Will Smith is is really the only guy clearly in his prime at this stage. Of course, Mookie still is, and Freddie Freeman is still awesome. But I'm worried about that bottom half of the lineup in terms of what the drop-off is. I don't think J.D. Martinez is watching. I mean, he was still he still hit a ton of doubles last year. I think he could still be good. But there's the because he is 36, because David Peralta is 36, it's not that these guys weren't that good last year. It's that there's just more looming possibility that they completely fall off a cliff. And Max Muncy, I have no idea what to make of because of how bad he looked at the beginning of last season. I still believe he's going to get on base a bunch. But like that's another one that I'm not as excited about him being my four hitter as I was a few years ago. And then, yeah, that, that our two friends named Miguel at the bottom of the lineup are just not are, are just we just are not knowing what we're expecting from him. I know some people are super high on Miguel Vargas. 
and maybe that will be proven true. Um, and then the bench, you know, we haven't mentioned Chris Taylor yet, but like Yanni Hernandez projecting to be on this bench is not a great sign. <laughs> um, to, Can I to admit something? Lightly. I yeah. never heard that name before about six minutes ago. Do you, do you know, do you know, really, you don't know anything about Yanni Hernandez? Because if you look at Yanni Hernandez, um, he's basically Alexi Amarista, uh, except even less offense if that seems possible Ooh, he interesting. Is, <laughs> he is one of the smaller more stout players um that you'll see in the majors and is strictly a this is a great this is a great example of someone who it's like oh he's a switch hitter but he has a 600 and? ops from both sides <laughs> it's like great that's awesome he could he could really get that platoon advantage um, but now, I mean, he's, yeah, so that, I will that is say, Jordan, despite all of the skepticism I have about the Dodgers, I'm mm. still going to pick them to win the division because mm. they are the Dodgers. Yeah, uh, we'll yeah. get to that in our season preview stuff a little bit later. All right, let's move on to our next incredibly unfortunate injury, which is fortunately slightly less unfortunate. Tyler Glass now the uh, lip tattooed tree on the Tampa Bay Rays out for six to eight weeks with a grade two oblique strain, or as they call it in Canada, Jordan, a second grade oblique strain. Second, I'm, 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 I'm you, you lost me. <laughs> you, you're going to have to explain that one for, for everybody here. In Canada, they don't say first grade or second grade or third grade. <laughs> they say grade three, grade two, grade eight. Okay. Well, it's, so I... It's I confusing it. because uh, the, again, the medical terminology for these different grades is is only is also confusing every time it gets announced. So I had a lot to process there, but thank you for uh, reminding me how Canadian education works. Uh, this one sucks. Also, now fortunately, this one should not take Tyler Glass now out for much of uh, this season. But um, I think this one is is just disappointing because for the first time since I don't know how long, the the conversation at a race camp was like. We have like a real adult rotation of starting pitchers. And we are not just going to be, you know, doing our our raise bullshit all the way through the season where we're, you know, calling Lewis head up and down 5,000 times and we have openers and we have these guys and we really only have two starters. Like with Glass now back seemingly healthy and with signing of Zach Eflin and with, you know, they extend Jeffrey Springs, they believe in him as a starter. It was looking like they had five real starting pitchers, which I just don't remember the last time you could say that about the Rays. And now it looks like we'll maybe be bounced back into the, you know, the Yanni Chirinos, you know, opening with Garrett Clevenger and Beeks and Sean Armstrong. And, you know, it's and, and Shane Boz also was the other one. Of course, he had Tommy John at the end of last year that, that maybe we would have hoped would have factored into this year at some point. But um, either way, uh, it sucks because Glass now is one of the most fun pitchers in the league to watch. And as far as projecting this Rays staff and this Rays team, Hopefully he's not out for much of the season, but it does still set back any hope that this race team can really, really challenge the top of this division, I think. Oh, I totally agree. And you're right. The idea of five Rays starting pitchers, McClanahan, Rasmussen, Eflin, Springs, Glasnow, was kind of interesting. And now we're going to be forced to sit through like the dominant LGBTQ patch ripper offers coming out of the bullpen, yep. which you know, is both unfortunate and frankly boring. Um, and I would much rather watch Tyler Glass now than any of those Rays pitchers. Anything else on this, Jordan? Well, I would just say like now I'm a little bit more curious if they 
push, you know, a Taj Bradley. What what is up with Patino? Are we just done with him? Like I know he's looked really bad, uh, but like that was an arm that I was really excited about that they got in that trade, and he doesn't even seem to project to make the team at this point. Maybe he does now with the glass now injury, but. Yeah, I mean, look, again, the, the Rays are going to get outs. Like, it's not going to be as pretty as it would have been if Tyler Glass now was pitching. Um, but, you know, I, I'm not saying this sinks their season, but it certainly makes me less excited about them because they are in, because the Orioles project to be so much better, because the Jays got better, because the Yankees are as good as they are, because the Red Sox should at least be better than they were a year ago. Um, it's, it's hard to look, I know they're always good, but it, it's, you can see some, you can definitely be a little bit worried about the races here. I think if I right, like one of these five teams has to finish last mm-hmm. in the AL East. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in a long time, the Rays are definitely in that mix. I in don't think Toronto or New York yeah. can finish last, but I think the other three teams can. And I think the glass now injury, even if he's back in, you know, two months, the glass now injury is still will play a role. The last injury to talk about is Joe Musgrove, who fractured his toe because he dropped a kettlebell on it while he was lifting. It's his left big toe. So that is his front foot, his his uh, his plant leg. No, plant leg's your back foot. Plant leg's you your tell front me, foot. Mr. Pitcher. <laughs> but you're, I never understood this. This never sunk in for me because you're planting with both feet. Right. I guess it's your plant leg. That's, that's called foot. gravity. <laughs> Plant leg pitching. Here, let's learn about the sport that we are paid to cover. Plant leg pitching. Front leg. So your front leg is apparently your plant leg. That's which what doesn't I thought. Make, yes. But that doesn't make sense to me because your back leg is planted into the ground. But what's what I just said? It's gravity. You can't. There's no situation where it's not. One of the legs is going to be planted at some point. That you're. That's unless you're on the moon. I feel like. Uh, but but they're, it's a good point. It is a little. They're confusing. both plant legs. It should be front and back. Whatever. His front left toe, I guess, is fractured because he dropped the kettlebell on it. No throwing for two weeks, and then he'll you know. Rip, regain strength it's interesting right because he could i guess just sit in a chair (laughs) do his throwing routine but that's not really how it works uh i think this makes his opening day start unlikely if he has only two weeks would mean he has basically two more weeks after that to ramp back up before opening day and it just doesn't seem like it's gonna happen jordan you are an avid weightlifter what are your takeaways from someone dropping a kettlebell on their toe? Well, Have you ever I was, picked up a kettlebell? Well, I was going to say to you, can you let's let's back up. You you do this to me all the time, and I think it's fair because we want our, our audience to understand. Jake, what the hell is a kettlebell? Are you serious? No, I'm I'm being serious. Like I think people listening that are not in weight rooms ever are don't know what the hell a kettlebell is. So can you explain what that is? Do you know what a kettle? I'm asking. You, I, I do. do I, I do. Yes, oh, okay. I, I do. I'm just saying, like, I'm trying to give you I, again, like, okay. <laughs> there's a lot of things where you ask me, Jordan, what's that? And I'm like, I know what that is. But the no, I understand. Why not? <laughs> and I was confused whether it was the situation where I'm asking you a question for uh, for the sake of the audience or whether mm. you actually didn't know what a kettlebell. No, was. I'm, I'm asking for, for the okay, sake great. of the audience. Yes. Well, I'm glad that we've cleared that up. Uh, a kettlebell <laughs> is a weightlifting uh, entity, I guess, that. I want you to imagine like a really heavy metal ball. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a like bowling a, ball with a handle. I mean, it's, it's, it's usually smaller than a bowling ball. I would say it's about the size of 
like a squishy dodgeball that you would use mm-hmm. in class. But it's hard. Gym class. But it's hard and incredibly heavy and has a handle. And there's a variety of things you could do with it. I love using kettlebells. I think they're great. Uh, I have you ever dropped one was, on your toe? I have never dropped one on my toe. No. And I've also never pitched in the big leagues. So maybe I should drop one on my toe and see if I get called up to the Padres. Uh, I would maybe hypothesize, and, and this is total conjecture, that he wasn't wearing shoes. I mean, depending on the size of a kettlebell, you could break your toe, shoes or no shoes. But Joe Musgrove seems like a no shoes lifting kind of guy. Based <laughs> that upon seems the like a not kosher thing. That is like a pretty day one thing is to not lift heavy things with no shoes on. But uh, is that the thing that people do? Uh, Yeah. Not at the local Planet Fitness, (laughs) Um, but it is definitely a thing that people do. Either way. However it happened, he broke his big toe and now he's not going to pitch for a while. Even though, as you said, maybe he can just sit down and, 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 you know, keep his arm loose. Um, But hey, I mean, this is this is obvious here. Uh, Everyone making fun of the Padres for signing 5000 starting pitchers. Um, this is why you do that. Uh, you never know who's going to drop a kettlebell on their big toe. And now, uh, while obviously I'm much less excited for the Michael Waka, Nick Martinez, Seth Lugo trio, as I would be to watch Joe Musgrove potentially on opening day for the Padres, at least you got, at least you have some, some competent pitchers that can step in and, you know, you're not just, you know, dipping and dipping into triple a, uh, immediately. I'm kind of surprised we don't get more weight room injuries than we do. I agree with that. I agree with that. But this one seems like, but I don't know. I can't decide if this one seems extremely plausible or like this never happens to anybody and you have to be a real dummy. I, I don't know. I, it's somewhere in between. Uh, <laughs> but it's not but it doesn't like matter. being a real, it's not like being a real dummy. It's just like a momentary lapse in concentration and then, you know, whiz bang, boom goes your toe. But that's the thing. And, but to your point, this is why it's surprising there are more of them because it's, these are just heavy things that can hurt you very easily. <laughs> and so this and they're is, lifting them every day. <laughs> right. And so that's the thing. It's, it's, uh, it does not take much to, to end up, uh, in it with, with a serious, a serious ouchie. And yeah, that is what Joe Musgrove now has. And, uh, toe injuries are no joke though. That's like, I, especially big toe injuries, the difference between a big toe injury and a picky toe injury I mean, honestly, like probably the whole thing, like, couldn't you, haven't we heard stories of players basically just playing through broken piggy toes, like an entire season? Like that is completely reasonable, but I would say that your big toe is worth all the other toes. Mm -hmm. Like I would rather, I would, if you could give me the four other toes or my Mm -hmm. big toe, I would take the big toe, big toe, big day. It's big toe for a reason. Uh, but you yeah, know, so that the big, this, <laughs> sorry, this has been a message from big toe, big, big toe, <laughs> big toe is, is really trying to, to, they've been lobbying us hard, uh, to make it very lobby. clear that it is a big toe for a reason. You cannot live without the big toe. The big toe is very important. You know, there's big pharma, big dairy, and of course, big toe. Let's move on to another baseball juggernaut, the New York Yankees lineup. Hmm. Or is it? The New York Yankees lineup last year outside of record-breaking Aaron Judge was hardly a juggernaut. They went months at a time doing absolutely nothing besides uh, gawking at what Aaron Judge was doing. And it, and it works. Or it works until they face the Astros. Um, but coming into this year, a uh, big question, of course, they you know they signed Carlos Rodon in the offseason. That's great. And that's looking awesome. I think Carlos is going to be great. But the offense was not... Uh, 
I would say, addressed in really any sort of manner other than bringing Judge back, which is, of course, a huge a huge victory. But the same lineup, or at least similar lineup, that we watched uh, toward down the stretch last season will be the one that we are watching in some form coming in to this season. And as opening day approaches, uh, Jake, you sent out a tweet kind of uh, hinting at this, but it, the notion that they are going to to run this back to such a degree is kind of hard to fathom, but also sort of tracks with the rhetoric of the New York Yankees and the way that Aaron Boone talks about his players and the trust that they have in, of course, bouncing back from seasons. Um, I think we talked about it on the pod at, at some point recently about a hit Boone saying, you know, you'd be crazy to think Josh Donaldson won't bounce back and all these things. But how are we feeling with opening day now coming up later this month? About this, about this Yankees lineup and what it will actually look like come opening day. So there's what I feel, there's what Yankees feel, Yankees fans feel, and there's what like you know the Yankees organization feels. The gap between what the fans want and what the organization wants right now, or what the organization is hoping for, is enormous, and it is a gap that we see on other teams. It's not just the Yankees, right? You have fans want the young, exciting, new players and not the players that they've seen struggle over the course of the year. Now, uh, over the course of seasons or, you know, in some of these guys' case, just last year. But it's important to remember that the the new guys could just struggle like the old guys. And I think the shiny prospect is sometimes a mirage. In the Yankees' case, I think that those prospects deserve a chance to prove themselves. And I, I understand where Yankees friends are coming from. And I understand why they are banging their heads against the wall at the idea of Aaron Hicks in left field on opening day, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa at shortstop on opening day, and Josh Donaldson at third base on opening day. That trio, right? Kiner-Falefa, Donaldson, Hicks on literally like the whole left side of the baseball field. What Yankees fans want is LeMahieu at third, which would have Glaber Torres at second. They want uh, Oswald Peraza at short and Oswaldo Cabrera and left, right? One of those three things might happen on opening day, maybe. But what we're hearing and the way that Aaron Boone talks about his players, if I had to put money on it, I think that's the Yankees opening day lineup. And that's what they went with in that spring training game on Wednesday. So you really think it'll be three for three of Donaldson, IKF and Hicks. Uh, we also got word yesterday that Judge will indeed start playing some left field. Um, coming up in spring training games next week. Now that hints at the the possibility. Like to me, Hicks is the one that I cannot fathom running back out there. And I know that he is still making a good chunk of money the way that Donaldson is, the way that LeMahieu is, and somehow LeMahieu is being the one relegated to a bench super utility role. But I think if I had to bet, I think I think Donaldson is a 1,000% will be starting at third base. That That I have no doubt about whatsoever, barring injury. I still feel like Peraza has a chance to do it. Again, he's a guy who who did play in AAA a little bit last year, unlike Volpe, um, and and looked solid, certainly defensively, um, down the stretch last year. And either way, he's going to be hitting ninth. It's not like you're coming in and asking him to be you know batting at the top of the order. And I just feel like he is someone that that can realistically earn this job in a way that doesn't feel like forcing it the way that it might be like handing Volpe the job. 
Um, and so that's why Peraza, I still think, has a great shot. And in left field, like, I I just, I really do think that that the judge and left stand and right or stand and left judge and right, like, I, I feel like that is, should be, should be what they're doing. That way you can get LeMahieu uh, back in the lineup. If you're so freaking desperate to put Hicks in there still and rotate him through, maybe you can. I just feel like that, or, or Cabrera too, right? We get him some playing time. I feel like that is, is not a crazy option. Like, I refuse to believe that... Hicks. Okay, let, let's agree on Donaldson. We agree on Donaldson. Who's more likely to be starting on opening day, IKF or Hicks? IKF. I think I agree with you, but I still don't think it is a guaranteed certainty. Now, the thing to talk about here is Oswaldo Cabrera. Freaking rules. He was a <laughs> two-win player last year in 44 games, mm-hmm. and over 162, he'd be like a seven-win player. Now, granted, small sample size and his defense graded out really, really well in left field, we, even though that's a position he's never played before and his versatility gives him a lot of points there. But he's a really, really good player. He's, in my opinion, way better than Aaron Hicks right now. I don't think... I think Hicks basically just gets Joey Galloed into nothingness by May. Yeah. Obviously, they still have more of a financial commitment there than they did with Gallo. But um, but yeah, no, I think that's a fair a fair guess. And the thing to remember, right, is the lineup on opening day, I, I'm betting that it's this and that there's no Cabrera, no Peraza. Maybe you have Glaber at second and LeMahieu DHing or vice versa, okay? That doesn't mean that won't be – that. it doesn't mean that that's not going to be the lineup the next week, you know, or the next day. Like, just because it's the opening day lineup doesn't mean it's the lineup for the season. And I think that is definitely important to remember couple more things before we take a quick break, Jordan. Andrew Painter. You know, I, everyone knows how much I love Monet and Picasso, Rembrandt, Frida Kahlo, but Andrew is my favorite painter. (laughs) Wow. Uh, How many, well, I would like to know Andrew's favorite painter, to be honest. I know people have been making jokes about, oh, he's, what a great, perfect name. He's, he's painting the corners. Let's really dig into this here. I mean, he's 19. I don't know what his art history background is. Obviously did not make it to college to take an intro to art history class like many of us did. Uh, But in his case, I would love to know. I would love that to be the next question that Alex Coffey asks him in spring training. Well, you know, the Salvador Dali Museum is in Tampa, a short drive away from this Philly spring training. I know that. All right. right. So someone should take Andrew Painter over to to the art museum. Very, very possible. So why are we actually talking about him? Uh, it's because he's 19 and legitimately competing for a starting job in the defending National League champion Philadelphia Phillies rotation. Now, we all knew he had one of the more dominant minor league seasons uh, that we've seen in some time, let alone for someone who was uh, just 19 last year in his first full pro season. But now it's like a real conversation. Now, of course, this is also a product of the Phillies having very little depth beyond their top four starters. And, and you know, normally guys are not – yes, Andrew Painter is very talented and very good, but it's not exactly like he's beating out, you know, you know 10-year Major League veterans at this point. He's basically competing with who? With, with Bailey Falter, with Christopher Sanchez – with Mark Appel? I don't know. Mike, like Michael Plasmeyer. Plasmeyer. Yeah. Like this is just not exactly a, you know, a who's who of, of, of rotation depth. And so because of that, it's not like when you watch him, it's like, yeah, I mean, he looks like he, there's no way he can be any worse. Um, do you think this will actually happen? Do you think this is a good idea? 
and uh, and and how stunning is this to kind of witness? Because we just have not had a lot of stories like this for pitchers, teenage pitchers trying to make the team out of spring training. So just a quick scan of baseball reference. We have had five, six teenage pitchers appear in the big leagues this century. Six. That's Elvis Luciano, who was with the Blue Jays in 19 and was terrible. Real Julio Urias. Real yeah. five pick. Julio Urias in yep. 16. Dylan Bundy came up at 19 yep. before things yep. went terrible. At the very end terrible. September, I remember that. Yep. Uh, in 12, Madison Bumgarner in 09. Felix Hernandez in 05. And Edwin Jackson in 03. It doesn't happen because, let's say you're a high school kid. You get drafted at 18, maybe 17. You're not good enough to pitch in the big leagues within a year. The gap between high school baseball and the big leagues is enormous. And that, so it usually takes at least two years. And by that time, you're 20. That's the other thing is um, that was what was so amazing about Bundy. <laughs> and he made it up in his first season, like which is just impossible to fathom, honestly. Like it would basically be like if Painter came up at the end of last year for the Phillies, which I, I don't think anybody was talking about. It. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't think anybody was talking about that last year. Um, but to your point, like the, the high school to the big leagues in two years is just so hard to fathom. A lot of those uh, pitchers, you talk about Urias, talk about Felix, guys that had already been in pro ball since they were 16. I mean, Urias had been carving. I mean, he was already pitching when he was 16 as a professional. And so that's the advantage. And this is also true when you talk about position players too, right? There's a reason that the guys that are making it to the big leagues as teenagers have largely been international players, the Sotos, the Acunas, the Vlads, whatever. And occasionally, you know, you have a Mike Trout or Bryce Harper, but that it's, you have to be at such a ridiculous level to have climbed the, the, the minors that quickly and to be trusted that quickly. Now, again, like I, I, it's not hard to fathom that he is the fifth best starter on the Phillies right now. Like that part is not the craziest thing in the world. At the same time, like when you watch him and he's getting, you know, you know, uh, who is it? I think it was Max Kepler, right? He gets Max Kepler to look really silly. And it's like, okay, like this is where the spring hype gets, gets, gets dangerous just because it's like, listen, you, and we just talked about this, it's the same thing we just said about the Yankees, but it's just like, these guys are not saviors always. And, and you just have to understand the risk that you're putting them in there. It's, is, is he the best option right now? Maybe, but you just have you have to consider the big picture. But also, Dave Dombrowski and, and the Phillies, like they're they are not ones to necessarily care too much about the big picture. And if he's their best option, he's their best option. So maybe he is going to break camp. I I won't really believe it until I see it. But maybe. I think if he doesn't break camp, he'll be up by the end of April. Mm-hmm. He is their best option. This team is not as good as it was in October. Their projected win total, I think, is somewhere around 86 or 87, 88, like high 80s. They're going to need every single win they can get, especially when you consider that Bryce Harper is out until the middle of the year. One of these other starters is going to get hurt and miss time, whether it's Walker, Nola, you know, Suarez, or Wheeler. Like someone's going to miss time, and that's going to push someone else up into that starting rotation. And I just think that Andrew Painter is going to make a significant amount of starts for the Phillies this year, whether he breaks camp or not, I think doesn't matter a whole lot. I would bet on him not breaking camp, but him being up pretty quickly and him being fine. I think he's going to be fine this year. He's not going to be dominant. He's going to show it in some spurts. Just 
Go watch the highlights of Hunter Green last year, right? And that was after years and years of Hunter Green being in the minors. Mm -hmm. Coming up as a rookie pitcher is very hard to do. Spencer Strider was kind of a different situation because he had, I know he was injured a lot at Clemson, but he had played in college. He was a college pitcher who had competed, who had been used to that type of scenario, who was older, like he's an older guy. Painter is going to throw like 85 to 100 innings this year in the big leagues maybe, and he's going to have like a 4-3, 4-7 ERA, and people are going to be, oh no, and then like in two years, he'll be an all-star. Right, you know, and so and, and listen, maybe again, maybe he is a generational talent in a way that we thought Dylan Bundy was. Right, to to put it bluntly, I know he got hurt, but like th- th- that's the thing. Like you just, it, it can all look so good and so obvious, and then this is why it is just so scary with pitchers. But I generally agree with you. I, I think we'll see a good chunk of him this year. At the very least, I imagine he'll start in Triple A. Uh, I mean, he only made five starts in double A last year, but considering where he's at right now, like I imagine they would like him to be one stop away. Um, but that's the other thing, right? I mean, it's possible he goes down to triple A and gets shelled in his first few starts. And then it doesn't feel like it's just also delicate uh, with these pitchers, but it's true for prospects in general. And it's, it applies to the Yankees conversation. Like it all, it sounds great, man. It sounds great. And I, I hope we're all rooting for these kids when, when they come up. Right. But um, major league baseball is really hard. And I hope that uh, if they are going to throw them into the fire, that people understand that uh, these things can be challenging at first. Well, I mean, you even take a look at pitchers 20 and under who made starts in the big leagues. And there are 37 of them this century. Okay. And there are names like Clayton Kershaw, Madison Bumgarner, Jose Fernandez, Matt Kane, Zach Greinke, guys who are – who were and have continued to be elite starting pitchers. There's also, you know, Louise Gohara for the Braves, Jacob Turner for the Tigers, Henry Mejia for the Mets, right? Ryan Firebend for the Mariners. Like there are players who turned into nothing because pitching is incredibly difficult. And we just need to remember that Andrew Painter is 19. Yeah, but let's end this on a positive note. Um, wow, he looks the part in a way. So that is, good. Now, I will say there is part of me that is like, I do wonder when we will stop being stunned by velocity specifically. Like I, and I, I mean, not, not that it's not impressive, especially for a 19 year old. And, and again, it's really about what he looks like and what the, the delivery looks like and the fact that he's that big and that coordinated and that smooth and it's coming out that well. But, it, but like, it is funny to me to some degree, people being like, oh my God, painters, you know, throwing 98, like, yeah, that's that's pitching now. Like if you're if you're a first round pick, if you're a top pitching prospect, that's just what you're doing. That is just how that is what the pitchers look like now. Um, but again, it's an age thing. He's he's really really impressive. Jordan Andrew Painter is younger than Matty B. Raps. What's Matty B. up to, man? Do we know? Could couldn't tell you. Is he still Matt? Matty still be rapping, or what do we? Do we have we have an update on that? All right. Well, we'll I do to. not. That's do great not. though, right? Because for 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 a while, it was like, oh my god, that guy's younger than Justin Bieber. And now we we have to we have to transition. We have to make an adjustment. And I appreciate you uh, pivoting that to Maddie B. Raps. All right. Enough about Maddie B. and Andy P. We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back on Baseball Barbacast. Andy Pettit. 
Negro Leagues Baseball Museum President Bob Kendrick hosts the SiriusXM original podcast, Black Diamonds. The Negro Leagues didn't care what color you were, and they didn't care what gender you were. Can you play? Hear stories of the leagues and legends that shape sport, culture, and society. That's why the museum is so important. It's like, we are never going to forget you. Episodes of the award-winning Black Diamonds are now available wherever you get your podcasts. We're not talking about balls and strikes. We're talking about your life. And we're back on a delightful episode of Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Thank you all for accompanying us on this podcast journey. And like every other podcast in the world, it's time to talk about the new rules. We're not going to dive too deep into it. We did a whole podcast about the new rules that you should go listen to if you haven't yet. Went very much in depth. But one of the takeaways from that podcast, Jordan, was that we couldn't predict everything, that there would be circumstances with the new rules that we would never anticipate that we would talk about once they happened. And here we are. Yes. And we touched on on this uh, on the episode earlier this week about some of the early reactions to the pitch clock, um, specifically about just some situations that we hadn't even considered, like how much the catcher's position could influence when the hitter thinks they're ready. Uh, we had a situation where there was a dual violation and the count started 1-1 before anybody <laughs> even started. Like, I hadn't thought about that as a possibility. Um, so there's been all kinds of stuff like that. But today we wanted to talk a little bit more about the shift and the shift restrictions because that is not something we touched on um, in last episode. And we don't have too much more to say about the pitch clock, at least for now. And so we wanted to, to spend a couple minutes talking about the shift restrictions. Now, Jake, admittedly, I've only just been watching spring training intently for the last couple days. Now, let's start there. Have you noticed watching spring training games, have you felt like the shift restrictions that you can only have, you know, two batters or two fielders on each side of, of second base. No, no, you know, no ifs, ands, or buts. Like that's that's the rule. Two guys on each side. Has that changed uh, the way you've watched the game at all? It hasn't changed my viewing experience, but I do think anecdotally more balls are getting through. Mm-hmm. I don't think that having two guys on either side of second base is actually playing that big of a role. What's playing a bigger role, in my opinion, is that everyone has to have their feet on the dirt. So in the past, right, you could put anybody anywhere. You could put your left fielder at third base. You could put your catcher on the moon. You know, you could do it anything you wanted. But now infielders have to have both heels on the infield dirt when the pitch is thrown. Now, if you go back and you take a look at shifts, a lot of those shifts, especially today when infielders' arms are so good, is guys were playing really far back to make sure balls didn't get through. And now that guys are playing further in, not necessarily over shifted, but in, that means that they're going to have less reaction time to field ground balls. And that, the idea that guys have to be in the dirt, is what shortstops have talked about. I think Correa talked about how he doesn't like that. Lindor talked about how he doesn't like that. That, to me, is a much bigger and more significant change than making sure there are two players on either side of the base. I agree with that. And I think too, that that gets more at what was suggested with this rule is not just about helping lefty pull hitters, you know, hit 235 instead of 225. It's more about how can we make the game more interesting? And yes, we want more balls in play in general, but we also, what was, what was constantly hit is we want our defenders 
to be making more interesting plays. And I will say that anecdotally so far, I have seen not necessarily more highlight plays, but more infielders needing to dive, more infielders ranging over for for plays that they normally would be perfectly positioned to make. And that to me is more exciting. And yes, if Correa and Lindor don't like it, this is an argument. It's like, well, you're the best shortstops in the world. So I'm excited to see you figure it out. They talked about how they like the new shift restrictions in terms of being on the other side of the base, but they don't love the idea that they can't play as far back as they want. And that's just because they're used to playing far back. And when you're a shortstop and you're like a kid, right? You're in Little League and you play shortstop and you think you're hot shit. You play so far back because that's what the big (laughs) leaguers did, right? And your coach is like, yo, come in. Like, you can't do that yet. You're not good enough to do that. And I would imagine that that's kind of ingrained in their own sense of themselves as shortstops. Yeah. Right? And I know part of it is also just like these guys are hitting the ball 110. Like I would like some more time and space to make these plays. But again, if it's making it more challenging for them like that and we want to, you know, kind of almost force the athleticism to to, to play a bigger role, then, then great. Like I'm not saying I want guys getting injured because they're playing, you know, too close, but it's not like we're forcing them to stand on the infield like in front of the dirt. So I, I like it. And 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 I think that it is, I, to your point, that the main takeaway is I do think that that will make a bigger difference than just having two guys on each side of second base. And you made this point, I think, last week or two weeks ago or whatever, that the teams that shifted the most in baseball, right, were the Astros and the Dodgers and these other really smart and successful teams. We had reached a point where front offices, the good front offices, were so skilled at shifting and knew where to put their players that we had reached a point of like boring, oh, the ball's hit right to this guy. I don't want to watch front office people be incredible at their jobs. On TV. That's not entertaining. I want to watch Carlos Correa be incredible at his job. Sorry if you're working in front office and you're listening, but that's just the truth. But but to that point, like I am still curious to see within these restrictions how creative teams get. I don't feel like we've fully seen. I know people speculated about, oh, you know, maybe they will still pull the left fielder over to play in, in the short right field as as a shift. But even even more subtly in the infield, if there are certain positions that become more common, if 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 certain shortstops decide actually I'm better off playing here or slightly different here now because I can't play on the grass, I'm curious to see. What, what those look like and, and how that how that impacts. Of course, it's very early, but I agree with you. I think that that is is something that that will make hopefully defense more interesting. And and if it makes it more challenging, that's that's fine with me. I have two pitch clock thoughts, Jordan. Mm-hmm. My first is intentional walks. Mm. Could I use the pitch clock to intentionally walk someone instead of saying four? Like if I'm a pitcher and I just needed a breath and I was intentionally walking a guy. Couldn't I just stand out there for 20 times for for a minute 20 and just four balls? <laughs> this is only semi-related, but we also got an, I'm jumping ahead, but we got an email about the, the possibility of the opposite, which is an immaculate inning without throwing any pitches, which would of course require an extreme amount of of or sorry, a stream lack of discipline and focus from the hitter for that to take place. But to your point, I mean, sure, because what what's interesting is that all of these rules, they punish you with balls and strikes, right? But as far as we know, it's not like you're getting fined by committing violations. You're not getting you're not going to get suspended if you have a bunch of violations in the same game because 
the, the idea is that that is how you are being punished, right? That is how you're, you're being punished is hurting you strategically, you know, in, in the actual game. So to your point, I mean, I guess you're saying that the advantage would just be like, I need a rest. And so I'm just going to stand on this mound for a minute and a half and walk this guy. I mean, I guess, although I don't know if that counts as skirting around the rule now, which is that you just are supposed to throw four fingers up and, and put them on first. Like you have to declare that. I, I don't know. No, you don't. Not in this situation. I'm going to picture this guy. Oh, whoopsie do. <laughs> Time ran <laughs> no, out. It's, like, that's, it's a fascinating question. I don't, I, I know that there's been parts of the rules with the shift this where MLB's been like, if it seems like you are doing something to skirt around the rules, we will get on you for that. But this is an interesting case where I don't know how that quite fits. Imagine runners on second and third, fourth inning, starters laboring, long inning, big slugger up, bad hitter behind him. I'm just going to, you know, get crisscross applesauce <laughs> on the mound and, and, and just wait out for a minute 20. Ball one. It's just you're still sitting there. I'm not moving. Ball two. <laughs> That's great. That's, I, I really like this idea. Um, it would take, again, like you said, a very specific situation to give it a try. But I like it. I think I would love to see someone try that. Next question about the new pitch clock that came to mind. New balls. Mm, Pitchers mm -hmm. love getting a new ball. This nice happened with Karen Chak. Um, Correct. This uh, happened with Karen Chak, where he. Yes. Karen Chak is why we have new rules. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's a big reason why, with all of his absurd fidgeting. But he asked for a new ball, and they gave him the new ball, and it counted as time. Right? Like it it was not the clock did not reset. Does getting a new ball then count as a disengagement? Good question. Yeah, it seemed like in that situation he asked for a new ball as like a Hail Mary to stop the clock and it didn't work. <laughs> and so um I don't know. I'm sure that has to be in the rules somewhere. I'm not exactly sure about that. Um does seem like a skirt around, but I, I imagine you probably can, in my opinion, that should be you should you know, stop the clock or reset the clock if you get a new ball. But I think also you sh are only obviously going to only get one new ball every at bat or every plate appearance or every whatever. Um, and I know sometimes there are pitchers that will ask for multiple new balls in the same at bat and you'll get umps that are very <laughs> not amused by that. I'm sure that those days are, are done. But at the same time, I do think it probably should count as a disengagement or at least as a, as a clock reset. But it was very funny to watch because like all this is another thing, which is a bigger you know, take away from the pitch clock is that there are certain things that when they look rushed do end up looking funny. And I understand players are uncomfortable that we had a funny moment with Correa yesterday where he took the first pitch and started wandering out of the box and, you know, start doing his, his thinking. And then he was like, Oh shit, I got to get back in and literally like jumped back in the box and like was looking really attentive. Like those moments are funny. And that's, that's what spring training is for. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, that there are certain things that again, we're, we haven't thought of everything yet and we're going to figure all those out in the coming weeks. I want to talk about Max Scherzer and the pitch clock. So he had his first start earlier this week with the pitch clock. Couple takeaways. Number one, great example of if you're an adult and really good at baseball, you can use the pitch clock to your advantage. And he said this, I've said this before in the pod. He told me, he was like, I'm going to take advantage of this. You know, I'm going to game the shit out of this. And he did. He worked really, really fast and made hitters really uncomfortable. And then the hitters responded. Derek Hill got on the box really quickly and Scherzer just waited him out for nine seconds, just paused on the mound and then struck him out with a fastball. 
right? And it is a reminder that the pitcher gets to dictate the pace. And we already knew this, and this is a feature of baseball for over a century. But with the pitch clock, I think it's even more obvious. Yeah, and he Scherzer literally said that in his in his post game. He was like, "Yeah, no, like now I am entirely in control over this because the hitter has no choice but to step in and to decide. Oh, he is ready, or, or oh, he isn't ready. And as we've seen, there are some there are some issues with that, you know, involving the catcher and how ready the catcher is. But but yeah, I think if you if you want to take this head on and you are you trust your catcher, or if you're like Max Scherzer and you know exactly what you want to throw all the time, uh, you're in good shape. And I do think that the early, of course, we talked about this with Ryan LaVarnway, but like I would say that the early takeaways, are, and as far as how the players have talked about it, is that the hitters are more uncomfortable than the pitchers. And that is a very interesting, interesting outcome. And if that ends up being true, then it's funny because that is kind of not what baseball wants. Baseball, in a lot of ways, so, so much of it has been how can we help the hitters more? And instead, we might, we might, and again, it's way too early to, to decide this. And some hitters are going to be, most hitters are going to be fine. But if it ends up hurting the hitters more than pitchers, I think that is one of the funnier outcomes of this whole situation and just classic uh, thing to happen to Major League Baseball, honestly. <laughs> I do love Scherzer calling his own pitches with the pitch com on the mound. We're going to learn pretty quickly which pitchers are going to call their own games and which pitchers won't. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll be much more obvious and apparent who's boot bopping on their wrist on the mound and who's just, you know, going and throwing. Right. But also uh, the, the other one we, we, we heard from this week was was Alex Cobb was saying like this didn't feel like baseball it was really rushed. And he wasn't saying like this is the worst thing ever. It shouldn't have it. He was like, yes, I understand why we have it. It's good. But his point was like in spring training right now, I am entirely focused on making sure my delivery is in sync. And I was not able to think about that at all. <laughs> and so I know Alex Cobb maybe has a slightly weirder delivery than most. And so maybe that hurts him more than others. And we've seen, you know, the likes of Luis Garcia having to adjust the thing. I go back to what you said when we all started. You guys are the best in the world. Figure it out. You will figure it out. It's fine. But I, I did have at least some sympathy to the point where it's just like the, the the upside of doing it in spring training is the games don't count. The downside is that that is also when you're working on things and they, in this case, do not literally have time to work on things in some senses. Or just go work on things on a backfield. Right. Like it, that's the but thing. He, he admitted, and I think uh, I think Hunter Brown said this too. He had a, a really bad uh, first spring start. He was like, yeah, we have it on the backfields, but no one's enforcing it. And that's the thing, like the the the, the guys, they're going to have to self-police on these backfield games. And, and I, I imagine that the teams that were doing it more, I saw we, we both had had kind of conflicting experiences seeing practices on the backfields and how much it was being enforced. I barely saw it enforced anywhere that I went. You said you did see it being enforced on the backfields. And that, that's exactly how you're going to get ready. Because if you are going on the spring training game and actually experiencing it for the first time versus, you know, having your coach yell at you a couple times in the past week. Yeah, it's probably a lot harder. Last thing to talk about before we take a break, Jordan, no ump, no problem. Mm. This is already, I think, one of the most responded to tweets we've ever had, which is hilarious. So why don't you walk everyone through uh, what happened? Let me set the scene because I think that is part. <laughs> There's a couple conversations that we had here. All right. How does this happen? So uh, it turned out that I was possibly the only person left watching Pirates, the end of the Pirates-Orioles spring training game yesterday. Now, the reason, or two days ago, 
yesterday? I don't know. Anyway, the two reason that ago. this is so, two days ago, the reason why this is so funny and why it was so perfect to be not paid attention to is because it was, you know, in, sp- in spring training, you have the one o'clock wave of games and then you have the three o'clock wave of games. And what r- results is because, you, you know, you have the Arizona game starting. And I think what happened is that uh, oftentimes the ends of the, of, the, of the Florida spring training games are completely ignored because obviously most of the players are out and no one is watching this and particularly Pirates Orioles. And so the three o'clock games had already started and there was other stuff to watch. And so I don't think anyone was watching this, but I was still watching it for some reason. Jackson Holiday came in the game and I was like, all right, cool. I'll watch this. So I'm watching. It's the Pirates broadcast. We know the Orioles aren't broadcasting any games. It's the Pirates broadcast, and uh, the game the game ends, and I just have it on. I'm not. I, I whenever I was working on something, and I just it just let, stayed on, and I the, the broadcast continues, and I'm very confused, and I see the umpires walking away, but the broadcast is still on, and I see Brandon Hyde and and Derek Sheldon having a conversation, and the broadcast is still on. At this point, I still have it on mute, and I have Twitter open, and I see all the Pirates and Orioles writers tweeting out like, "All right, you know." Pirates win seven to four. I'm, I'm looking at this like, am I crazy? Like, it looks like they're still playing the game. Like, am, am I missing something? And I saw Justice De Los Santos uh, uh, posted about this in, in, in his video. He said, he he said literally, he saw the last down and he picked, went up and walked back to the media room and didn't think. And then by the time he got back, he was like, what, what do you mean? They're still playing? What's going on? What happened was, this does happen. This is not the first time we've ever seen this happen because, again, the point of spring training is to get your work in and pitchers are scheduled to throw. And so if they don't get to throw, you want them to throw. The Orioles wanted, I believe it was Ofridi Gomez, <laughs> to uh, get an inning against the Pirates in the bottom of the ninth despite the game being, yes, over by the rules of baseball. And so Derek Shelton said, sure, no problem. Mason Martin, go get an A-B. Uh, Drew Maggi, go get an AB. No problem. Let's just let's just keep playing baseball. And so what we had was an umpireless inning. Why the umpires were so had such an issue with sticking around? I don't know. I mean, I feel like they've again. Everyone's saying, yeah, well, their job is to umpire an official baseball game, and they did that. They completed that duty and they left. But the ultimate result of this is the fact that this was still broadcasted. And this was a very funny thing to witness. It is nothing now, more than that. <laughs> technically, if we're being technical, okay, the Pirates and Orioles played eight and a half innings of baseball, mm-hmm. and then the game ended, and then they scrimmaged for a half inning. Yes. That is what it says. Officially, uh, Ofredi Gomez's half inning of work is Did not that? on the box score. <laughs> yes. He does not get credit for that, right? And so when I tweeted this and I said, like, wow, like the umpires left and they're still playing, and I phrased it thinking the game was over. Yes, I understand the game was over. But to me, it then it brought in this whole existential question of what is a game? When is a game over? What is spring training? What is the point of any of this? What counts? What doesn't count? And Joe Block, the Pirates broadcaster, and Neil Walker, they had a lot of fun with this, and that, and that was part of the fun of this too. But I think that the fact that it was continued to be broadcast is a huge part of this. The Pirates broadcast could have cut off. They said, Pirates win 7-4. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll see you. And then none of us, like, you would have gotten a few tweets of people being like, hey, they're still playing. This is weird. It but like, it, it would have been not like, have been oh, the same thing. Oh, Frady is going to throw an extra inning. Like, it's yeah. just nothing tweet. No, nope, Instead, nope, the fact the, that they broadcasted it made yes. it feel like a real game, except yes. for the very obvious fact that there was no umpire behind the catcher, which was, it felt very bare. 
and naked. Yes. It was very Be- bizarre. Because again, this happens on backfields all the time where you have inner squads or you have, you know, live BP where you have someone's calling balls and strikes from behind a net or you have the catcher calling balls and strikes, which was the case in this game with Maverick Hanley. And you could see Brandon Hyde. So you're like, hey, Mav, just, just call balls and strikes. And Maverick's like, all right, sure, I guess. All right, well, I guess I'll do that. Um, now, he only had one close call, and I, I'm, I'm glad he gave it to his pitcher, which was great. Um, the thing is, is that, and everyone making the jokes, oh, my God, we, look, see, you can play baseball with, uh, without umpires. I just wish we had one more close play during this inning to see what would have happened. Because, <laughs> again, not that it would have mattered, not that people would have gotten actually angry. But, like, I do wonder what would have happened if there was any sort of discourse of a bang-bang play at first or like a hard slide or like a cl- like something like that where you actually had to someone actually had to make a call that would have been interesting that was not the case and so we didn't actually see a challenge right because the discourse afterwards was no one's calling balls and strikes but FYI umpires do a lot of other stuff too <laughs> and none of that came into play right there were no fair foul calls or there were no reviews. There was right, no right, right, right. The pitch clock was off. The pitch clock, the pitch was, clock off, was right. Off. So right. Freddy Gomez could have. I mean, he really could have taken his his sweet time if he wanted there. But um, one of a really small part of it that I, I think went that I just laughed at so much that first at bat against Mason Martin, he fouled off a bunch of balls. And normally, what does the catcher do? Oh, hey, just. Asked for a new one from the ump behind him. But he he did that the first time and he's like, oh, there's no one here. And he had to like look in the dugout and have them throw him a new ball. So that happened like five times, uh, which was hilarious. But yeah, I mean, again, this is not like there were people. But what happened, again, let's get to the more meta conversation about this, which is the fact that because I happen to be the only person to tweet this, uh, at least first, you know, this tweet has, I don't know. 24,000 likes and the 2 million views or whatever and sports centers posting it and being like, oh my God, the umps left before the game ended. It's like, well, no, but like that's, but it's like, you know what? And then the people getting mad and being like, wow, you dumbasses don't understand baseball, which to me, of course, my response is to anything like this is just like, who fucking cares? This is just a funny thing that happened. It's all going to be okay. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. Well, you were um, like, you you yeah. said something that was like, to me earlier along the lines of, yeah, people got really mad about this. And I was like, well, I think people get really mad about anything sports center <laughs> level of tweet, right? Anything that right. gets to that many people, people will be mad. Right. So it was it was just so, 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 so goofy. Um, but yeah, that's that's all it was. And that's all it had to be. There's nothing, <laughs> there's nothing more than that. I although I will say Brandon Hyde had a funny quote after the game. This just this just made me laugh because it just imagining the interaction was just very funny. Um, kind of explaining like, okay, because normally, you know, you can have a dialogue with the, you know, you can agree with the league and be like, no, like we're going to play an extra inning and the umpire will, will do that. Um, <laughs> and so I think this is from Nathan Ruiz uh, where he's, he's talking about what Brandon Hyde said after the game. And he said, Orioles manager, Brandon Hyde said, quote, we were told by the league we could play it by the umpires and pitch the bottom half of the ninth. And I guess Chad Fairchild felt like we couldn't. <laughs> it's just like, it's just so funny. So I love that. Anyway, that's the umpireless game. Maybe we'll see it again someday. Maybe not. Let's take a quick break and we will be back to wrap up a lengthy but delightful edition of Baseball Barbercast. And welcome back to the end of Baseball Barbacast. Just this episode, not the whole show. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. And we have an email to talk about. 
and a notable, bizarre baseball happening that not a whole lot of people outside of Minnesota know about. And that's where we will begin. Jordan, tell me about the Minnesota Baseball Jamboree. Yes. So uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, which I believe is where the Vikings of Minnesota play football um, during the National Football League season. Uh, it is also the home to college baseball during this time of year because it is not particularly pleasant to play baseball outside in Minnesota. And so uh, schools ranging from the University of Minnesota all the way down to like Division II junior colleges that you've never heard of. All are welcome at U.S. Bank Stadium during the month of March to play in baseball games in a very goofy configuration, which I highly recommend you Googling and seeing what a baseball field in a football stadium looks like. Now, all that said, the beauty of this event, and it is not one event, there are multiple tournaments throughout the month of March where this happens, is that there are so many teams that want to play games and they are so accommodating that essentially they are playing 24-7 during the month of March. And if that sounds insane, understand that this began yesterday on March 1st with two Division three schools, Crown College and Hamlin University. Hamlin, are they a university? Hamlin University. All right, congrats to them. Hamlin University in <laughs> St. Paul. They started a doubleheader at 5.30 a.m. local time. That was the first game of the year for both teams. Um, and and that was the, shine, baby. the first of three doubleheaders being played uh, yesterday, I believe. The last one beginning at 9.30 and playing deep into the night, well past midnight. We've heard stories of games starting at 1, 2 a.m. because you're inside. The lights are on. Who cares? Like, we're warm and we're playing baseball in March in Minnesota. And that is all that matters. The time is irrelevant. And it is just a truly ridiculous and goofy thing. And, and I just wanted to, to ask you, Jake, I know you, I believe you played games in college at eight. Did you have 8 a.m. starts or nine was the earliest you started? I had an 8 a.m. start, yes. You had an 8 a.m. start in Florida? So Correct. Florida, same kind of thing where there's a lot of college baseball tournaments in Florida. Well, they, well, they start at eight because they're trying to squeeze in four games a day on a single field and there's so many teams down there. But, but 5.30 is just... I just so okay did they here's a question did they sleep right what when did they get to the field when do you like how do you prepare to start a baseball game at 5 30 did they so, take batting practice well so that's the thing there's a number of conflicting incongruent factors at play let me let me also say we can find out the answers to this since we know the crown head coach and i will try to get some answers for the next podcast but go ahead <laughs> so for the first game of the year or for the first game of a day in college, you typically will show up about two and a half hours before first pitch and you'll take BP and you'll do infield outfield and you'll throw and you'll hang around and you know, a lot of nothing happens, but you get there early, right? So that would mean they would have gotten there at 3 a.m. I do not believe that they got there at 3 a.m. I don't think that's true. My guess would be that they got to the field at 4.30 a.m. And they hit in a cage somewhere and they took infield outfield at some point and they threw and they got loose. You need an hour to really prepare for a game. You need an hour. And so I would imagine they got there at 4.30. I would imagine they left wherever they were leaving at 4. 
And I would imagine their wake-up call in the hotel was like 3.15. And I cannot imagine that everyone felt rested. Well, again, well, I think the good news for these teams is I believe they are coming from home. I know some of the other teams are coming in from a little bit farther, whether it is in Minnesota or out of state. I know that Vanderbilt and Maryland and Nebraska are going up to play in a tournament there this weekend, although they wouldn't start Vanderbilt before 10 a.m. Don't, don't you worry. <laughs> but Crown College, like like the, the idea of telling Tim Corbin <laughs> that he's going to start that first pitch is 5.30 a.m. is just so amazing. But it's like, oh, we can make like South Dakota technical junior college play a game starting at 2 a.m.? Like, sure, no problem. <laughs> I love the idea of like, Having a cup of coffee, playing a doubleheader, and then taking your morning shit in that order. Oh, my God. It's just like, it's 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 amazing. So uh, anyway, uh, we love this. And I we've heard from people. I tweeted about it yesterday. We had people in the mentions talking about experiences in this tournament. It's just absolutely bizarre. I know they, they used to do this in the Metrodome, too, um, unsurprisingly. But... It is just on top of the fact that the field is one of the goofier looking fields you'll ever see. It just makes the whole experience so weird and weird enough that we had to talk about it on this podcast and not just our college baseball podcast. And Minnesota University, University of Minnesota, (laughs) University of Minnesota plays about a dozen or so games, home games in the dome. They don't play outside until April Mm -hmm. because Minnesota is C-O-L-D. And so this is like their second home stadium, which is hilarious. If you think about it, Minnesota baseball plays more games in U.S. Bank per year than the Vikings. <laughs> yes, which uh, is, it's their home field. They should get they should get a priority of it uh, all all year all year round. I think I think that's a fair assessment. Let's move to the emails, Jordan. Where would you like to begin? Um, okay, we have a lot of really good emails, but I think we should save some for next week. Next week, we got the WBC starting, um, so you can send some WBC emails. But I think next week, we'll do WBC preview and, and hit a bunch more emails. So let's just stick with this one uh, that we got from Olivia uh, yesterday and the one that we prepared for the most. Um, so Jake, uh, why don't you go ahead and, and, and read this one uh, from Olivia? This is from Olivia. She says, hey, Jake and Jordan. Love this week's pod. Quick note, though. Molly May and Tommy Fury are not married, just dating as far as the public knows. That's my fault. I apologize, everybody. You misled since me. We're on, since we're on the topic of dating shows, I like how Olivia's like, speaking of the thing I was just speaking about, I was wondering which baseball player you think would be the most likely to go on a dating show like Love Island or The Bachelor, and which player would create the most drama as a contestant go Terps? P.S. Hope to see you guys in a Maryland game this season while well, I was there two days ago. Uh, <laughs> Olivia, this is a phenomenal question. We absolutely love it. And there are examples of athletes going on these dating shows before. There was a Travis Kelsey finding love. I think it was called Catching Kelsey mm-hmm. uh, dating show. And we've had very, I think, like, wasn't one of the Bachelor guys a former NFL player too? And yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's the he's the the uh, he is literally the host of the Bachelor now. Is Jesse Palmer, who was a big college football guy, and yeah, now he's now he's doing it. But I think this is also important: is that we got kind of two different questions here because 
I'm more familiar with The Bachelor. Jake is much more familiar with Love Island. But they're two very different shows, and the kinds of people that it attracts is also very different. And if we're talking about the player as The Bachelor versus the player as a contestant on The Bachelorette or on Love Island, those are two very different assignments. And so we tried to consider that when answering your question. So the other thing we took into account is, are, is this person single? From now, what we that's know. very <laughs> difficult to know, obviously. We're not but, trying to pry too deep into anybody's private life. But there are some players who are like definitely married, right? Like they're 100% many, married. Many, many, many of your favorite players are extremely married or extremely in a relationship. And you, you know about it because you follow them on Instagram. It's not complicated. So we tried to keep it to the players that are publicly single as far as we know which is that problematic of course but you know what we're gonna have fun with this question <laughs> it's basically who's not posting on insta you know what i mean <laughs> right so if we're if we are bringing if we're gonna name anybody who is already in a committed relationship we apologize we are doing this strictly on personality and vibes and also have you posted your significant other on instagram <laughs> yeah we're not trying to end your relationship but if we do that's on us the number one pick in this and it's really not close the more I've thought about it, is Harrison Bader of the New York Yankees, who is like very single, I believe, and dresses like a very famous person and is attractive and on the Yankees. I mean, it it tracks with it tracks with what we just the whole reason we're having this conversation is that he looks like a Paul brother. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it is, uh, which is, which is a, a good place to start. And the fact that he's now on the Yankees, of course, you know, his hometown team, like he just checks a lot of boxes, the way that he dresses, the way that he talks, the way that it's, 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 it's perfect. It's perfect. It, 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 that is an, an absolute layup. Harrison Bader would, would, would fit well on any of these shows. And I mean, you could name the show something, you know, like, uh, running, running them down or. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. You mean if he's like the star and he's like in the, but yes. Yeah. Going yes. yard with Harrison Bader, you know, yes. like all kinds of options, but that, that is definitely the, the first one that came to mind. Making contact. <laughs> That's kind of an issue for Harrison Bader though. So I'm not sure if maybe, maybe that would be what we're, we're promoting. We're trying to, you know, help in, in more than one sense. Yeah. <laughs> which is so good. I think Bader is, is the best pick Great. by a mile. Great. But John Carlos Stanton, who might be standing next to him for a lot of the season, he came to mind as well. Mm-hmm. Kind of more obvious and definitely like a lower key interactor, mm-hmm. but definitely as fame, more famous. And like, look at Stanton. Like, look at the guy. Yeah, it's not complicated. Not complicated. That's a good one. I think, uh, I mean, he's he's really the way. I mean, he, he would be the... the- <laughs> Probably the first one you, you most people would name, um, but so those two, and then and then the other one I think that that stands out is is Bo Bichette. As far as someone who looks like they should just be on television, I feel like he certainly fits. Now he's not as much of an outgoing personality, I would say, but he certainly has the the coolness factor and someone that you would like to just watch exist. Right? We kind of talk about that with like Tatis. Uh, Tatis would maybe be another option for this although <laughs> maybe a little a little chaotic <laughs> but i think he would say he's a sneaky sneaky perfect yeah i think tatis is another good one if you want to go like the the a more cleaner cut but maybe not that interesting but like obvious heartthrob is jeremy pena he certainly had that played that role in the postseason last year i think he would fit in this uh, very much as well um who are some other guys uh, that stand out here 
Christian Yelich came to mind, mm-hmm. um, though I'm sure some people would want uh, Christian Yelich's mom to have her own dating show. <laughs> well, I would. I thought you were going to just be like, "It's he, Pete Davidson's certainly making the rounds." I mean, it's not. It's so. I mean, I feel yeah, like that's that, a great. That's a great point. It's just like, like B team. Pete Davidson is Christian Yelich, and so Christian Yelich is just dating all the people that Pete Davidson dated <laughs> after Pete Davidson dated them. Um, uh, so yeah, so there's, so, you know, there's, 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 I, I, then you could go like more, more the, the mystery man round, you know, Joey Votto, someone that, that certainly would be interesting under literally any context of any situation, any dating show, anything. So I think that's an easy one. Um, I mean, I, oh, here's one, I have no idea his relationship status, so this could be totally unfair. Matt Chapman, he kind of fits in the, uh, in maybe like the, along the Jeremy Pena. I know people think he looks like, uh, Josh Hutcherson. <laughs> that maybe helps. He could definitely fit in the, in the bachelor category. Sandy Alcantara mm-hmm. is super good looking and tall and now a Cy Young winner and is in Miami, which I think mm-hmm. would be a great place for the show to be. He definitely fits. And I believe he is, he's single enough that there was no significant other sitting next to him when he accepted his Cy Young award <laughs> that was spelled wrong on the MLB network. Which is, I guess, some kind of hint. So again, we are doing way too much digging into people's first lives answers, but listen, it's a great question. Do you, do you have any, any last ones? Well, the, another obvious one is Julio Rodriguez, mm. who, if he was single, would I think be my first pick for this? He would be. Absolutely well, I mean, again, it's 80, 80 charisma and I mean, everything. Adley too, actually. Oh yeah. Adley. Adley's a really good, exactly. Yeah. Don't, don't try and break up uh, Julio from his, his superstar athlete girlfriend. I mean, come on now. Let's, let's, let's leave them alone. Let's let, let's let the young love flourish. But Adley's a good one. Adley's one a little more, uh, more realistic. I do want to talk about Julio's current relationship. I don't know how much people know about this. I, it's kind of nuts. Well, again, it's so everybody knows about Dansby, Dansby Swanson and, and Mal Pugh, and they just got married and they've been together for, for several years. And, and of all people, Bob Nightingale actually just wrote about this. He just wrote about uh, Dansby and, and, and Mal Pugh, um, but also Julio and Jordan. I believe it is Haitama. I believe Haitama is the, the pronunciation, uh, who is on the Canadian national team, uh, women's national team for soccer. And she also plays, I believe, professionally in Seattle, uh, which is pretty cool. And yeah, they've been together for a few months. And it is just like, a, it's again, it's it's like a just a younger version of like, holy shit, these two really successful, attractive people found each other. Amazing. <laughs> what a what a what a concept. Well, and, you know, I believe Jordan Heitma was dating Alfonso Davies, who's the best male Canadian soccer player in the world for like four years. You know, and now she's with Julio. Well, let me tell you, there are some very angry soccer fans who have never heard of Julio Rodriguez in the Instagram in the Instagram comments. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Um, but uh, one of them is one of the best players in their sport and uh, has three hundred million dollars coming his way, and the other one doesn't. So you know what? It's okay. They're all they're all going to be just fine. <laughs> I wish Alfonso Davies the best. <laughs> so yeah, let us know who we missed. Um, Jose Ramirez is another one. Oh, wow. That's an interesting one. Okay. I would love that, man. I, but yeah, again, anything too, like it, it's, it's just a different conversation. Do you want someone to be starting drama? Do you want someone to just be like the boring hot guy 
There's a lot of options uh, in baseball, but uh, we did our best. So, Olivia, uh, let us know. I'm sure you've clearly thought about this question, so maybe you have some good answers as well. Would love to hear um, the not uh, male perspective of this. Would also be good <laughs> to know uh, if we, how off base we are of this. Um, so, uh, please let us know. Uh, but yeah, that was a good good email. You can any any final thoughts? Okay. Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred, no, but pretty sure he's married. But that's that's certainly would be interesting. I'm sure people would certainly tune in for that. There's no quicker way for him to change people's perception of him mm. than that. Wow. What a weird note to end on. Well, uh, you can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast at gmail.com. Again, a lot of good emails recently. Hopefully, we'll get to them soon. We appreciate you all listening. Thank you, Jake, for hosting this podcast with me. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing it. Hopefully, when we return next week, we will not have any more extremely depressing injuries to discuss. Um, But until then, we hope you enjoy the weekend, and we will talk to you very soon. Jake, finish the podcast. Don't drop a kettlebell on your toe. Serious XM Podcasts.